0: Hi ladies, welcome to the Women Who Soar show, where I talk about the power and freedom of being vulnerable and truly authentic. Whether you are looking for guidance, are in need of affirmation, or evaluating your own power and freedom, you are in a safe space here. Let's get raw and real together. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hello.
1: Hello. I'm excited (laughs) to be here.
0: I have Ray here. All of you have been waiting for Ray for the last few weeks. I've, I've been mentioning it out to uh, my sphere and everyone has been waiting for this very special, special podcast. So Ray, thank you so much for being with us on my women who soar podcast.
1: I am thrilled to be here.
0: Yay. Yay! So we're going to go ahead and dive right in. That's how I roll. I like to dive right in, get really um, juicy with you and find out all about you and the book. Let's get it. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So just to kick it off, um, one of the things in the very, one of the very first things I read in Gender Magic was like your, your story of your youth. And I was like, Oh my God, I didn't know we had that much in common. Mm. You know, you were, you were doing puppet mastery the same time that I was a teenage alcoholic and like how (laughs) much more similar can that be? Ray? So (laughs) I think that's the first time I've ever read anything or saw someone that that's how they grew up. Um,
1: Yeah. It's an unusual one. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, but the, I mean, I, I don't normally hear teenage alcoholism either. So like it was yeah. just the preface The preface there. Um, so we're going to find out how the book came about. But before that, would you mind just giving us a little bit about you, who you are, where you came from?
1: Absolutely. So, I'm a, a gender and sex therapist based out of Chicago. I own a practice called Practical Audacity, which is a, a queer focused um, counseling practice here in Chicago. I'm also the author of Gender Magic, which I know we're going to dig into, and a speaker and transgender DEI practitioner. So, I do all the things, and you—you mm-hmm. you alluded to to this a second ago. But I grew up very strangely. So I grew up as the adopted child of Southern Baptist evangelical missionary puppeteers, which yes is a real sentence. So <laughs> as you can imagine, it was a, a very strange way to grow up. And also as a a queer non-binary person, now I. Didn't quite understand as I was growing up why I didn't really feel like I belonged in in my family or in the culture where I was at, but I knew something felt a little off. Um, and quickly after I got to Chicago and went to grad school up here, I came out as queer, and then a few years later, it came out as non-binary, mm-hmm. and the rest is is history. A little bit, but I'm happy to dig into any part of that that you like.
0: How did the therapy practice come about?
1: Ooh, good question. So when I was in undergrad, I was starting to come away from the church. And at the same time, and maybe partly because I was uh, friends with the theater kids on campus. If you know anything about theater kids, they are often queer. And they were indeed queer. So I was friends with some of the only gay kids on campus at this really conservative college in East Texas. And I watched them go through identity development and relationships and managing coming out to families and and navigating the culture we were in. And I realized that I wanted to go to school to be a, a therapist to specifically work with the LGBTQ population. So that was already in my head. I went to grad school in Chicago, came out as queer myself, surprise, surprise to no one except for me. Um <laughs> and immediately started working at an LGBTQ counseling practice as soon as I was able to. Was there for quite a few years, grew in my skills, became a sex therapist, and then started my own practice, Practical Audacity, in early 2018 because I knew I wanted to build a practice that was focused on the LGBTQ population and also in an area of the city that at the time there really weren't any practices like mine around there. So there was also a a big demand for for services. I started off as a a solo practitioner, but very, very quickly uh, within about a couple months, I had somebody coming to me who wanted to work for me. And within a year, I had five clinicians, and we've grown to roughly about 20 people at this point, mm-hmm. serving over 400 clients yearly in Chicago have and Illinois. Found,
0: have you found yourself mentoring other practices yet since you are the
1: pioneer? I've done some consultations, but I haven't really built, you know, in business speak, I haven't really built that vertical out in my business. Mm-hmm. I've been really focusing on, Making sure that our foundation is really good, building the leadership team. And then for the past two and a half years, writing and promoting gender magic, my first book.
0: As a as a business coach, I'm always thinking um high level and strategically. So immediately I'm going to how can you go and consult other practices <laughs> to start Absolutely. And, and take it, take it outside of, of of Chicago? Okay, so let's do it. Let's go to the book um, my my first question around the book is what what was what was that moment of clarity where you said this book has to be written? What did that look like?
1: I don't know that it was one moment, but there were a series of of moments or times that I can think of that really brought it to life. One, I've always wanted to write a book. I was a huge reader as a kid always in my lifelong career path, but I assumed it was at least like five to 10 years out from where I was at the time, but nope, it was too, um, which was a little bit of a, a wild, excuse me. Um, for those who don't know, I'm in Chicago, as I've said, and we've been having the Canadian smoke come right. into town. So my voice is a little off. Thanks for all your patience. Yes. Um moments that I knew gender magic was going to come into the world. One was I've been a part of Rachel Rogers community for a long time. And one of the things that she has taught and I've learned along the way in business generally, is how to take everything out of your head and create a model out of it. So I think that season, of my business where I was actively taking everything out of my head and I created the gender freedom model, that was a huge moment in recognizing, oh, I have enough content in my head slash have the ability to research these topic areas in a way that is really robust and then in a way that makes sense and in a way that I haven't heard that many people talk about Uh, gender freedom in the way that I do and gender transition in the way that I do. So I knew that I was onto something. I think another moment was I had been blogging for this well-known big website and the person who was over it was in the process of writing a book and liked what I was writing for her and connected me to her um, publisher. Mm-hmm. And had a conversation with the publisher who was interested in giving me a deal. I sought out support from other business coaches and they said, slow down, you know, wait, why don't you write an actual proposal and just see, see who's interested, see what agents are there, see what editors are there, what publishers are there. So I took their advice And their encouragement too, because I was still in a place of being like, well, I have like 4,000 Instagram followers. Who's going to give me a book deal? Right. But I did what they said. So another big moment that I'm like, oh, this is happening is I had hired a book proposal coach to help me get the proposal together. Which if you're not in the publishing world is a very, very specific document that I don't know how anybody who's not in the publishing world understands mm-hmm. exactly how to write it or what needs to go in there. So mm-hmm. I was grateful for that support. But once I had signed up for that, I'm like, well, it's go time. I mm-hmm. had a cheerleader, I had accountability, I had somebody to help me take the model that I had already created and put it into a form with, you know, a 12 chapter book. Mm-hmm. And that that was an amazing moment, and it's been full throttle ahead ever since.
0: Mm-hmm. How long did it take to, from beginning to publish?
1: From putting pen to paper on the proposal for the first time to publication was two and a half years. Wow. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, two and a half years. So, within those two and a half years, you were running your practice, building your practice, writing this book, and going through, I'm sure, a, a lot of peaks and valleys.
1: Yes. Yes. A lot of life happened both professionally and personally during that time. And I think that's something that people who want to write books or writers or authors don't talk about quite as much as we could, which Mm -hmm. is life doesn't stop when you're Mm -hmm. doing this huge project. Mm -hmm. So we were in the middle of a pandemic pandemic as you can imagine, the mental health industry has been so slammed Mm -hmm. since the beginning of the pandemic. And there's so much burnout there that a lot of of care and a lot of changes were happening with the team. I opened a new therapy office because our lease ran out for the the other one. So I, I supervised a massive build out, was writing the book. I um, there were some personal things that happened along the way that were really challenging. And so yeah, it mm-hmm. and I also had these amazing peaks where I'm mm-hmm. in a beautiful place writing my book, and that's amazing.
0: Mm-hmm. And then other
1: times where I'm like, y'all, I, I definitely have not showered in three days. <laughs> uh, and this is just right. where we're at.
0: Right. What um what kept you inspired? Who kept you inspired? What kept you inspired?
1: It was a few things. One was, you know, it's amazing what happens when you have a contract with deadlines. You kind of have to show show up for that. I had some accountability um through my editors that I was working with on dates that I needed to have certain things in. And I think that was really helpful. On the personal side, for the first little bit of the book, I was still working with a lot of my coaching clients mm-hmm. and see and on the material that was going in the book. And Mm -hmm. so seeing that impact firsthand was really helpful and knowing, okay, even on the days where this is hard, I know that this content is good because I see it working. Mm -hmm. I see it working with this population here. That, and then I had, um, you know, there was something that happened in, it was as I was finishing up the book. I was in probably the last third of the book. And there was a, a woman here in Chicago who was a, a transgender advocate and um activist here in Chicago. I wasn't super close with her, but I shared space. She was close with a couple of really good friends of mine in an organization that I'm I'm tight with. And she she was killed. Oh. And I I had such a moment of this transgender woman that I respected so much and had only seen all of this incredible, beautiful stuff come from and was such an advocate for this community, was just senselessly killed. And I ended up dedicating the the, the book to her. Her name is Elise Mallory. But I, I had such a, a process around that. And really, understanding or re- not understanding, but being reminded of why I was writing this book and my larger goal of I want to create a world where everybody is free to be who they are without fear and shame, and certainly without violence. Mm-hmm. and it it was a very deep connection back to my why
0: mm-hmm. one of the things that there were so many things that touched me in the book, um. One of the things that touched me in the book—I I have it right here. Look at that! Is the the narrative of <laughs> narrative, <laughs> um, <laughs> to play on words there? But the narrative of why why do we have to why do we have to lead with suffering?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Why do we have to lead with suffering? Why can't we lead with with joy and freedom and what and that touched me so much like yes it's real the suffering is real
1: absolutely
0: identified and tangible and you just shared it the violence is is, Mm -hmm. I've had several friends um go through awful senseless violent acts um why can't we lead with joy and freedom and and owning it and that power and and so there's there's the the landscape in your introduction I read it over and over and (laughs) over and over over again because I wanted to like literally ground it in like a landscape grounded and it says here hell we need a new model for gender one that acknowledges the intersecting identities and the systematic oppressions of marginalized groups in myriad ways, that culture and a binary gender system make existence as a transgender and non-binary person difficult, and one that celebrates gender exploration and expansion as an exciting place of growth individually as well as systematically. I read it over, and I read it over, and I read it over. And went back to hell. We need a new model for gender. Just kept going back to it. Mm-hmm. What do you think this book is going to do? Based on what that, what that's the landscape that you, not going to say dream of the landscape that you tangibly want evidence of. Yeah.
1: Thank you for for reading that, and that it's such a core tenet of gender magic and does really speak to this broader goal of that's the world and the narrative that I want one where, yeah, we're not going to push all the, the hard stuff under the rug. And we know, I think we are acutely aware of the political and cultural moment that we are in when it comes to trans and LGBTQ rights, and that cannot be pushed under the rug. And the impact of that cannot be overstated. And we have often, like you're saying, created a narrative around gender exploration and gender transition that does center on suffering as the, the core part of it. And I don't believe that is serving us, not because that suffering doesn't exist, but because there is also and can be also joy and curiosity and pleasure. And I think, Gender magic focuses largely on the individual factors around creating that narrative for people. And the larger message is we need to all work together, all of us, trans and non-binary folks, cisgender allies, all of us, to create the world where gender exploration is viewed as simply another part of self-growth, like any other part of self growth that we go through. And when we create that narrative, and we have the systems to support that, I think that our world will tangibly change for the better. When people can be authentically themselves, when people discovering who they authentically are is encouraged as part of self growth as something that everybody goes through in some way, because we have all been put into a box when it comes to gender, not just trans folks. Mm -hmm. So when we are all able to look at that and say, am I showing up to my life in a way that truly feels authentic to me, that is in line with my values? And if not, how can I explore more of myself to show up in that way? Mm -hmm. I think that's a beautiful world. And that's the one that I want to live in.
0: Same. I first met you when you were speaking on stage at the ROI Summit uh Rachel Rogers first summit um you're one of you were one of Rachel's first clients I think mm-hmm. um um OG vet right we're OG we're the, the <laughs> yeah the OG and so so that's my question is is this this model this gender freedom model that leads with joy and freedom and authenticity um are, is that part of your business model? Are you are you looking? Are you getting on stages? Because boy, I want you to be shouting that from the rooftops.
1: Yes, I absolutely on. I am getting on stages anywhere that they'll they'll let me, pretty much, and shouting this from the rooftops, far and wide. Good. From the very very beginning of creating my business. It was always very, very important for me personally to show up authentically, to show up as me, as a queer person, as a non-binary person, holding the values that I do, um, thinking and talking in the way that I do. That's such a core of everything that I am trying to create. And yes, I would love to continue creating that with a lot of curiosity and a lot of joy. And as an entrepreneur, I'm sure you know, don't always do that perfectly, but <laughs> it is definitely something that I value and and strive yeah. to create in my business.
0: So I mentioned to you, I have, I have two 20 something daughters and um, that's a generation that you're really going to impact. So what, what do you typically tell that generation when it comes to your, your spotlight, what you're trying to do to impact the world.
1: Well, the great news is that 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 generation and younger has so much on their side, right? We know that I believe I don't have the stat in front of me, but it's either one in three or one in four young people identify somewhere along the LGBTQ umbrella. There's so much more cultural conversation and understanding and as, you know, we can see from young people who are out and loud right now, there is so much more freedom and understanding about the diversity of gender and the diversity of how people express their mm-hmm. gender. Yeah. So they're already miles ahead, I think, of previous generations when it comes to acceptance and, and understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were to speak directly, to them, I feel like it would be a lot of reminders, reminders that they are not a burden for being who they are, reminders that their understanding of themselves and feeling valid in their identity comes from within. Mm -hmm. And not that outside validation isn't important, it is, and we know that social support is incredibly important, but focusing on that internal validation first, and then finding the people in their lives who will truly lift them up and support them for who they are as a natural outgrowth of, of that. Mm-hmm. Um, those would be a few things. I'm sure I could talk yeah. ad nauseum as well.
0: Yeah. Ray, this is wonderful. I really feel like you're part of, of, of my village. When I look around at the people that are are continuing to lift each other up, you know, the village that we're in is, that's what we do. We, we do that. So
1: absolutely. And um, I feel the thank- same way about you.
0: Yeah thank thank you so so much and we get to see each other I'm sure at upcoming events um will, for sure. I'm sure and everyone if you want to read the book where is the best I know I got mine on Am- Amazon and on mm-hmm. Audible um, but for, to share with everyone where where can they find the book and where can they find you
1: Sure. So Instagram is a hub for me right now. The best place to find me is going to be at the Ray McDaniel on Instagram. That's Ray R A E. If you want to check out gender magic, you can check it out at at gendermagic.com or or grab it anywhere books are sold. And I invite you to leave a review, no matter where you got it. If you can leave a review on Amazon, if it resonated with you, that would be exceptionally helpful and getting the word out about the book.
0: Wonderful. Thank you again, Ray. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today and have a wonderful day all. Thank you so much for listening to the Women Who Soar podcast hosted by Dora Rankin. If you'd like to find out more, you can join the Women Who Soar Women Making Money Facebook group or online at gypsysoulcoaching.com. Thank you again. And until the next episode.